this morning. Let me ask you guys to join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to sing together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And God, we pray this morning that you would set our expectations high. Not because of anything we have done or anything that we can do, but because you are the creator, the God. You are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And you have a word for us this morning. And you want us to experience your presence and experience you this morning through your preached word, through your church, your body, your family, singing together. And I pray each person in this room and each person on the live stream would hear from you this morning. We know you're at work because you don't stop working. You're at work in our lives. You're at work in this family. You're at work in this community, in this city, in this world. And we get to be a part of it. So continue to work this morning, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me and look at the screens, we're going to read scripture together. Psalm 9, 1 through 2. And if you'd like, you can read it along with me out loud. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. We are going to sing his praises. Amen. Amen. If you would bow your heads with me as we come into a time of confession. Hear, O Lord, and answer me. For as rich as I may think I am, I confess that I am poor and I am needy. God, guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I called you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. You are forgiving and good, O God, abounding in love to all who call to you. In their time of desperate need, God, hear our prayer. God, listen to my cry for mercy. Amen. If you would look with me to the screens, I'm going to read a story from Luke. Uh, it, it has a great tie to the next song we're going to do. It's called Reckless Love. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and, and seats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that has lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen. Hey, kids. So, do you remember last week when Miss Jamie was reading the story about Naaman, and it said God knew sin was like leprosy? And do you remember that God's children's hearts were broken? But then she ended with the good news that God can mend broken hearts. In our story today, we will find out more about God's plan to mend the broken hearts. So our story today is called Operation No More Tears. Okay, so let's go. 
Do you know what your name means? My name is Carter, and my name means one who pushes a cart. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, there was once a na na man called Isaiah, and his name meant God to the rescue. That might, that might sound like a bit of a funny name to you, but it was just the right name for Isaiah because God had a special job for Isaiah. You see, Isaiah's job was to listen to what God said and then tell people what he heard. Now, God let Isaiah know a secret. God was going to mend his broken world. He showed Isaiah his secret rescue plan. Operation No More Tears. This is the message God gave Isaiah. It was like a letter God wrote to his children. Dear little flock, you're all wandering away from me, like sheep in an open field. You always have been running away from me, and now you're lost. You can't find your way back. But I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you. So I'm sending a shepherd to look after you and to love you, to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room. But into the darkness, a bright light will shine. It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come and rescue you, but it won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace. And he won't have lots of money. He will be poor. And he will be a servant. But this king will heal the whole world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and, he, and rescue them from their enemies. But he won't have big armies, and he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lamb leap like deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be. But people will hate him, and they won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. It's the secret rescue plan we made from the beginning of the world. It's the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day, when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and the trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will hold will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. Poor Isaiah, he read, he read God's letter over and over to God's people, but no one listened to him at all, ever. They didn't want to hear God's promise. They didn't believe it. Did it sound maybe too good to be true? A story that ends happily ever after? Well, it does sound like a fairy tale, doesn't it? And as anyone will quickly tell you, fairy tales aren't true, or are they? Thanks, Carter. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we come to you now and asking you to, to move in a way that we can't put words to, maybe never seen before. God, we know that miracles exist. Your word tells us they exist. 
where a heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh, where a blind man is, begins to see for the first time, where the lame walk. And this morning, there are, there are people here in this room, people on our live stream who are hurting, who are in pain, who are um, having difficult times, whatever that may be, God. And you have hope. You have a way. You have a way of, of working in lives where you can take that burden, where you can take that pain, and you can, in the, in the darkest of moments, shed light. So God, we pray that you work. God, we pray this morning that, um, that you would speak to us, that you would use Brad as, a, as an instrument, as a loudspeaker proclaiming your word to us this morning. God, that, that our ears would hear from you, but more importantly, our hearts. God, that our hearts would be moved to obedience. Our hearts would be moved to some sort of action that, that requires us to take that step, that one step of faith, but also lets us meet you right there in it and that you walk with us. God, we want to follow you. We know how it is to, to live for ourselves. We know how it is to make our decisions based on what we want. And we know what the outcome usually turns out to be. But we want to follow you. So help us to do that this morning. We need, we need strength. We need our faith to be grown. We need um, a desire, a new desire. And we need the, the willingness to, to do so. So help us this morning. I thank you for the ways that we've seen you work in the past few days in this church family. I thank you that we've been able to see uh, people uh, hear from you for the first time. We've been able to have conversations about uh, things that, that are more than just surface level, where we've been able to experience your presence through your word. And God, we pray that that happens this morning as well. We love you and we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for Jesus who we, we, we pray all these in his name. But your word tells us who uh, you sent to live a perfect sinless life, to die a, a death that, that all of us deserve, took it for us, and then defeated sin and death by resurrecting from the grave. We pray this in Jesus' name, that you would speak, that you would move this morning. Amen. All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. Woo! Rough out there. Let's try it again. Good morning, Mercy Hill. All right, good. That'll help me, and it'll help you if it helps me. So, uh, we're in a new series entitled, what's the name of it? Follow Me, Learn How to Be with Jesus. And I've got this sneaking suspicion that if you grew up in the religious South, let, we haven't done this. I know that like half the church is gone uh, today because Memorial Day weekend. But quick vote. How many of you would say, yep, grew up in the religious South? All right, most of us. Most of us. So when, when I say religious South, I use that term a lot. Just kind of this idea that if you grew up in a home where eh, church was just kind of expected. Eh, everybody's just kind of grows up doing that. It's part of the culture. That no longer exists. But I've got this sneaking suspicion that for most of us, we feel as if we know 
what it means to follow Jesus a whole lot more than we actually follow him. That we know what I've described as the truths of Jesus. So we follow in the truths of Jesus. But Jesus called his disciples first and foremost to be with him. And most of us get a little foggy when it comes to knowing what it means to be with Jesus. Like, how does what we do on Sunday morning transfer to Monday morning? Or maybe even more importantly, to Friday night? And to everything in between. Because if Jesus has transformed our lives, then a transformed life doesn't just shut down on Monday and then crank back up on a Wednesday night. But no, we live as transformed people. The Bible says it's as radical as if we were born again. I don't know if you've ever experienced a birth before. It's pretty amazing. So today we are going to look at a passage of scripture. Instead of journeying through a gospel together like we oftentimes do or through a book of the Bible, we're actually going to look at some ideas that come with what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. And today, I want to invite you to turn to actually an Old Testament passage, 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I wonder if you've ever struggled or wondered how to hear from God. Anybody ever had a big decision to make? And you realize that maybe this was a little more difficult than you had thought. In fact, it seems so clear when we read the stories in the scriptures, but when it comes to our own lives, it gets a little fuzzy, sometimes even eerily quiet, if we haven't developed a regular rhythm of learning how to hear from the Spirit and obey Him and gain confidence in following God. And so today, there's a story that I think will help us because it takes us all the way back to the beginning. There's a story of a little boy in the Old Testament who had trouble sleeping at night and he heard God speak to him in the tabernacle. It's a fascinating story. It could easily be dropped into our worlds today because the very first verses of this story begin with the words, And the Lord was rare in those days. Mm-mm-mm. Caleb, I was waiting on you, man. You missed it. The Lord was rare in those days, right? Like, I want to hear some feedback real quick. My youngest son, Mac, said he would help me out. So, Mac, come grab the mic. I want you to be thinking. I've got the question on the screen for you. Why do you think the Word of God or the Word of the Lord is rare in our day? Why do you think... The word of the Lord is rare in our day. Just, just throw out some just popcorn answers. Mac's going to bring the mic to you so we can hear you and folks on the live stream can hear you. Just really quick, what are some thoughts? Top of the head, uh, there's no wrong answers. Why do you think the word of the Lord is rare in our day? Caleb's up. We're not looking for him. We're not looking for him. That's right. Somebody else. We're just not looking for him. Kristen, you can get your steps in today, Mac. Good job. It's been so watered down, made into t-shirts and mugs that we think we know what the word of the Lord is, but we really don't. So it's just become so commonplace, we're just kind of dismissive. T-shirts, mugs. Ellis and then Todd, after Justin. 
Sorry. Jason. We don't actually want to know what he says. We don't want to know what he says. We're really not that interested. I guess in uh, piggybacking off of that, we don't get into the Bible very much. We don't memorize it. We don't read his word. We don't know what it says. Todd's in the back. I don't think there is a sincerity towards God in our hearts. I think it's anything less than real or sincere. Mm. Going through the motions. Because we have to change. Oh, because it will bring about change in our lives. All right. That, whew, that's the sermon right there. All of these answers. It's great. Richard's got one last one. I think if we knew what he said, we really don't want to do it. We just don't. We don't want to do it. We knew what he said. All right, Mac. Thank you. Good job, man. Lots of different answers. And I think that we're right on the money. And what I want us to deal with is each of those answers, there's a sense that each of those things are true for all of us. Like there is a level of truth that just because we're here on Memorial Day weekend and everybody else is gone doesn't mean that we're not guilty of those same things. And so I just want to pray for us today that God would, that He would open our hearts to what He wants to do in us in order that He would heal us of some of, I just go back to what Christian said, of just some of the, it's just become so common. It's like we no longer have a respect for God's holiness. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, thanks for this story that you're giving us to look at today. God, I just believe that you're at work in our lives. Um, God, that you are inviting us back into your story. And that you're reminding us that you, throughout history, have called out to your followers. And that you've shown them grace. And God, I pray that your grace would just um, overwhelm us today as we see the reckless love that you have for us and that it would propel us to obedience and to love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, in this story, uh, let's look at it together. I think you're going to see that we have a lot in common with it. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, I'm just going to read through the story. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord, got, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The context of First and Second Samuel, originally this was one book in the Greek version of the Old Testament. And it was actually, at that time, given the title First and Second Kingdoms. We're not exactly sure who wrote it. We think it was probably the records of Samuel and other historical records that were put together. But the book belongs chronologically right after the book of Judges. And so if you, if you take Ruth out, if you know your books of the Bible... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. Take Ruth out chronologically. Judges and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel fit. Verse 25, the very last verse of that book ends with these words. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And the results of that are found in verse 2 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. The, learn, the, the word of the Lord was rare. So as a result of everyone doing what was right in their own eyes, it resulted in the word of the Lord being rare. And we live in an age in America where personal freedom is likely our culture's highest value. You're not the boss of me. Don't judge me. What gives you the right to tell me anything? Or to judge what I do. Or you could say, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Just like the end of Judges. And our country has reached, in a lot of ways, the height of personal freedom. 
We've reached the height of personal freedom. One illustration I thought of this week is that uh, legislation is being pushed that would protect children and give them the right to tell their parents what gender their identity is. Where just 20 or 30 years ago, that would be seen as child abuse is now being seen as personal freedom. The Bible calls this way of living foolish. Living like we are the creator without a king. In the church, not the world, is mostly to blame. Let me be clear. We choose to look and to concentrate and argue on political kings and freedoms and legislation all the while we refuse to acknowledge God as king to live in obedience to Him in a way that the fruit of the Spirit is continually increasing in our lives. If you want to know if you're more focused on your personal freedoms and the world that you're a part of, or if you're more focused on Jesus as King, if you want to know which kingdom you're a part of, look at your life and see if the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, look and see if the fruit of the Spirit is continually increasing in your life. If it's not, then ask what king are you following? But the beauty of this story and the beauty of the place where we find ourselves today is because I've already painted a pretty bleak picture. The beauty is this. God is always looking for a remnant. Throughout all of history, God is always looking for a remnant. A group of people who would return to Him to learn to hear His voice and to obey Him no matter what the cost. And he's always speaking to us, as the story of Samuel shows us. But in order to hear God, first we have to believe that God still speaks. So just two two points today. The first one is this. In order to hear God, we first have to believe that God still speaks. Samuel had no context for understanding that God speaks. Because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And so he didn't have this context of hearing from God or seeing God. There was no frequent vision. In fact, the wording is very interesting. You cannot read 1 Samuel chapter 3 without picking up on the irony that as the word of the Lord was rare, also Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. So that he couldn't see. If you read chapter 2, you see the evilness. You see how just horribly evil Eli's sons were. Who ruled and who were in charge of worship over the temple and over all of the sacrifices. Surely the writer is connecting here the physical to the spiritual. That as Eli's sight is dimmed, his sight for seeing God is also very much being dimmed. Do you realize that the community, the city, the country where you live, the place where we live has an impact on God's presence in our lives? Have you thought about that? Like, have have you thought about the fact that if your community doesn't believe that God still speaks, then you won't hear from Him? Like what Chris um, asked the question this morning. I was glad that he began our service in that way. We hadn't talked about um, 
the message, or I don't even know that he knew which text I was preaching, but he said, what is your expectation today? Because if you don't have an expectation that as God's word is opened, and you hear his word taught that he speaks to you, if you don't have that expectation, then you won't hear from him. Because like someone said earlier, we're just not listening. And so, it's God's mercy that He continues to speak to us. God still speaks. Verse 3 reminds us the lamp had not yet gone out. And I think that's a lot more than just this moment in Samuel's life. See, God is always looking for a remnant. And He begins with a person... Sometimes it's just a single person who will listen and obey in order to to hear from God. In order that God would call His people back to Himself. So Samuel has been in this odd place. If you go back and you read chapter 1, it's a really amazing story. Samuel's mom, she's barren, she can't have children. God opens her womb miraculously. She is... um, Just an amazing, godly woman. Because uh, like most of us, when we are in a place where we are just at our wit's end. And we are like, okay God, I don't have anything left. I'm finally coming to you. Whatever you want, God. I'll, and we make some like, I'll do whatever. We make some crazy promise, right? She actually kept hers. She said, God, if you give me a son... I'll give him back to you. And so when he was weaned, she took him to the temple. And you've got this, I mean, this story, we don't have time to really get into all of it, but she would come back year after year and she would bring back this ephod or this apron that she made for him, which was part of the traditional high priestly apparel that they wore. It's really important. But you see this picture of this little priest That God has chosen who is growing up, who is far more righteous than anyone around him. And his name is Samuel. God is always looking for a remnant. But Samuel was under the care of an evil family. Eli's sons were evil. They were dishonoring to God. They had no respect for the holiness of God. In fact, they used the worship of God for selfish gain. Does this sound like... Any of our churches in America today where we see pastors and leaders, we see churches and individuals using their positions and titles for selfish gain in order that they would gain money or power or pride. But the lamp of God has not yet gone out. Praise Jesus. We can have confidence in Jesus and His words that the Holy Spirit continues to speak to us today if we learn to listen. If we learn to listen in order to hear God. So the second piece is we have to recognize His voice. We have to learn not only to believe that God continues to speak to us today, but we have to recognize His voice. That's the second point. Samuel was in God's presence With the Ark of the Covenant, there was no one else who was there. Eli had left. Eli's sons, they had moral issues. They were nowhere to be found. Only the young man who had not yet heard the voice of the Lord was there. And God calls out to Samuel. He calls his name. And Samuel mistakes the audible voice of God for Eli. Three times it takes place before 
Eli realizes God is calling out to the young boy, and Eli instructs him, if this happens for a fourth time, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Which, by the way, when God speaks to us, this is a great... This is our only response. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And if we are servants, that means that no matter what God tells us, we have no choice but to do it. We're His servant. And He's our King. But this time, there's more than a voice. Verse 10 tells us that the Lord actually appears to Samuel. Not just an audible voice, but that the Lord appears. And He calls Samuel to be a prophet. Much in the same way that He called Abraham and Moses and Jacob over and over again throughout the scriptures, and I wish we had time to go into it this morning, um, I, I would refer you back to um, a, a recent book that's come out by um, a scholar, an Old Testament scholar that's, that's entitled The Unseen Realm. And in it, he walks through the many ways in which all throughout the Old Testament, God appears to humanity. It begins with Adam and Eve. You know, we think about this picture of Adam and Eve being in a garden and God coming and fellowshipping with them and walking with them. And oftentimes we interpret that as if, hey, we should walk with God. We don't mean that in a literal sense of like uh, person to person. We mean it in a way of fellowship. But if you look at the story of Adam and Eve, God came and walked with them. He walked with them. He didn't just fellowship with them. He wasn't just near them. No, he was with them. If you look at the story of Moses as God cries out, or Abraham as he cries out, Abraham, Abraham, and God appears to Abraham. If you look at the story of Moses, 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 and God appears in a burning bush. If you look at the story of Jacob, God appears to Jacob. The narrative of Scripture is that God goes out of his way in order to meet with us. And we kind of have taken um, this view of Scripture as if God is unseen and as, as if he's kind of playing, where's Waldo? Like, how do we find God? God goes out of his way in order to meet with us and he meets with Samuel. But God delivers a message to Samuel. He says that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. It's going to be big news, but it's not good news. It's judgment on the house of Eli. Judgment is coming. The very man who is responsible for sacrificing the offerings that atone for the sins of the people, judgment is coming upon his house. His house will be brought down. His lineage will be put to an end. And their sins would not be atoned for. Let me just say that again. His house would be brought down. His lineage would be put to an end. And his sins would not be atoned for. How would you feel if someone came to you and said, God has spoken to me clearly and he has said, your house will be put to an end. Your children will be killed. Your name will not continue. And your job was to be the one who instructs worship over the people. Your family was the one in which people brought their sacrifices to God and you led them in worship. Do you get the darkness? The utter 
end that Eli must have felt as he heard this tragic news? Think about Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 26 through 31. Listen to what the writer in Hebrews says. Say this for America. Say it for the church and the religious South. I say it for us. Hebrews 10 verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again... The Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We've grown up for so long in a culture where we know that famous sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we saw the Lord move upon our nation. And we saw Him move. We've seen Him move multiple times. We've seen Him be gracious to us. But the question is, will we take advantage of His grace? Because that's what Eli and his sons had done. It's not that, Tim Chester says it this way, I have a quote that's explaining this. It's not that there are sins which are beyond the scope of the cross. Okay? It's not that there are sins which are beyond the scope of the cross. There are no sins which are too big for the grace of God in the blood of Christ to cover. The point is this, if you despise the cross of Christ, then you reject the only means of salvation. If you kick Christ's sacrifice, you have nowhere left to turn. I am fearful that the American church has kicked Christ's sacrifice. And we show up on Easter and we show up on Christmas and our lives don't look very different Monday through Friday. And we wonder why when we're desperate for God and we need to hear from Him that we have nowhere else to turn. And that the word of the Lord is eerily quiet. Those claiming to be Christians in America must take notice. And I talk a lot about America because if you're not watching the rest of the world, the gospel is growing in most of the rest of the world. The gospel is not growing in America. 85% of churches are plateaued or declining, closing their doors. I talk to my pastor friends and I say, hey, how are your congregations doing? I mean, people are back. And they say, hmm, 50%. 50% of our people are, are back after a year. The question is, what happened to the other 50%? You say, oh, they're watching the live stream. Nope. I can tell you, they're not watching the live streams. They're not. They were in the beginning. They're not anymore. What happened to the other 50%? Did COVID merely show us what was in our hearts all along? 
What does it say about our hearts? What does it say about what we believe about the gospel? Have we taken Jesus for granted? Like Eli's sons, America has become way too casual in relating to a holy God. If we reject Jesus' sacrifice, if we say we don't need a king, we can rule ourselves, then there's no other rescue for us. That's what this passage teaches us. That there's no other rescue for us outside of Jesus. But you're here today, right? You're like, hey, Brad, it's Memorial Day weekend, bruh. We're here. Like, this is kind of, you know, a dreary sermon. You're here today. And so you desire to hear from God. And if we want to hear from God, we've got to believe He still speaks. We've got to learn to recognize His voice. And so I want to end with some really practical things for you that I want to challenge you this week that you would try out. We learn to hear from God through His Word, through prayer, through circumstances, and through the church. Those are four ways that we hear from God, that we've heard from God all throughout history. Through His Word, through prayer, through our circumstances, and through the church. But here's the problem for most of us. If you decided to run a marathon, and this was your thinking, maybe you've known someone like this before. I ran a a mile one time. I can run a mile. A marathon is just 26 of those. You just do a mile 26 times. So if I can run one mile, I can run 26. You just do it 26 times. If that is your way of thinking, anybody ever done that before? (laughs) I love it. I want to hear this afterwards. You are probably like crawling, dragging yourself across the finish line. Like horrible. I think we do the same thing. Some of you take that same kind of stupid into your Christian life. You do. And the fact that you came to know Jesus in the past and you walked with Him but you wonder today while you're, why in the world you're crawling and you're struggling and you're in so much pain. You're trying to drag yourself across the finish line because you never did any training. You aren't living in a dependent, healthy relationship with Jesus. Listen, folks, you can't depend on past training and you can't depend on a past decision that was made. Not saying that you're not saved, but I'm also saying if you're depending on a past decision that was made, if you've got a date written in the front of your Bible, and you say, I know I'm a follower of Jesus because there was this day and time, I walked an aisle, I went through confirmation, I was baptized, I've got this date. If you associate following Jesus with a date alone... I would say looking at the evidence of Scripture, there's a good chance you're not a follower of Jesus. Go and read Mark chapter 4 about the parable of the soils and identify what kind of soil your heart is. Or do you have thorns that are growing up? Paul says over and over again that we should test ourselves to be sure that we are in the faith. And we've grown up in a Billy Graham age where... We live the results of Billy Graham. Did you walk the aisle? We'll hold the buses. And everyone has come to know Jesus and we're depending on this moment in time. And Jesus says, no, I want a relationship with you. 
comes day by day. God saves and God continues to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. He continues to speak to His followers. Do you believe that? The light of His presence has not gone out. Jesus showed us that on the cross. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, what happened in the temple? The curtain was split from top to bottom. God tore this huge curtain, inches thick, tore it in half in order to illustrate to us, my presence is going forth. I am continuing to speak. John 10, Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. He went on in John 14 and he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus was saying that we, not that we're going to do a greater work than the cross, but he was saying that the quantity of our works would be even greater than his. Jesus probably never went more than about a 60 mile range. He never left Palestine. You and I can jump on an airplane today, and we can go to the 1040 window. We can go to Japan. We could go to so many different places where the number of believers is so small, and we could share the gospel. Jesus says that we will do greater works than He did as His church continues to hear His voice. But we have to hear His voice. If Jesus said we would do greater works than He would do, then surely He must have equipped us to hear the direction He's calling us to go. And the answer is He's given us the Holy Spirit. We get to know Him in His Word in order to better understand His character and His ways. And then you'll better understand if it's God's voice or your voice or the voice of the world. And as you listen to the voice of God, as you read the Scriptures and as you hear from Him, community is a hugely important part of that. You can't hear from God apart from God's community. I think one of the reasons why... Have any of y'all heard... um, I'm going to say one word, and then I want you to stick your hand up if you've heard it or not. Enneagram. Okay, most people. It's the newest personality profile. I think one of the reasons why the Enneagram has become so popular in our day and time is because we move around so frequently that we don't know one another anymore. So we don't know how to relate to one another. And we're constantly trying to figure out how to relate to people. So back in the day, you'd just go, if you're a man, you'd just go hang out at the barber shop, And you'd get to know everybody in town. You'd hear stories about, you know, Farmer Brown and his son and his grandsons and his father and you would just know what people did and kind of how to relate to them but in our day and time the Enneagram teaches us that there's nine different personality profiles and that there's nine different ways of seeing the world and I think that's probably true and when it comes to hearing from God there are nine different ways that we see the world right The way in which I see the world is the way that I see the world. I don't see it the way in which you see it. Which means that I'm going to hear from God probably in a way that I see the world. In a way that relates to my gifting. In a way that relates to my personality. In a way that relates to my talents. And so that means it's hugely important that I learn from other people as to how they hear from God. Because there's eight other personality types that are out there. And guess what? 
Sometimes I'm really certain that I've heard from God. And it's, it, it's, this, it's this simple. I go to my wife and I say, I feel like God might be saying. And she goes, that's stupid. <laughs> and I go, how come? And she says, well, I don't think that's. And she, and she kind of unpacks some stuff. And I go, you know what? Hmm, let me go back and work on this some more. Let me go back and think about this. Sometimes I think I've heard from God, and other people say, I don't know. And I say, hey, I'm just going to have to do it. I'm just going to have to obey, and we'll see. I think God, I think that's okay. I think God works that out. But I have found over time that hearing from God, it's really important that we learn how to do that in community. We can do it on our own. We can hear from God on our own. But I've found that if we practice in community and model it, in fact, if we became a church that regularly heard from God and obeyed, I think we would catch on a lot quicker. Community is very important. Finally, when it comes to hearing from God, here's what I want to challenge you with as I leave. Cultivate space in your life to hear from God. Particularly using silence and solitude. These are disciplines that are practiced in their abstinence, right? And so to be in solitude means you have to work hard in order to get away from people. To be in silence, you have to work really hard to get away from so many noises that clutter our lives. I would encourage you to take the one need... Remember last week I said take one need that's most important to you and bring it to the Lord daily. I want you to take that one need this week and I want you to carve out 10, 15 minutes in your life that you would take that one need in silence and solitude to God and just ask God, God, what do you have to say about this? God, we speak. God, your servant is listening. But here's the only problem. Don't do this. Unless you're willing to obey. No matter what he says. It's got to be the commitment you make. Otherwise, if you don't. If you hear from God and you don't obey. You will go down the path of Eli's sons. You will actually be further from God. As you take him for granted. So. It's kind of up to you. What do you want to do this week? Take the greatest need you have in your life. That you were praying about last week. Carve out some time for me. That'll look like making a cup of coffee before it gets hot in the morning. Probably first thing in the morning. Getting out, walking down the street. I've got a creek at the end of my street. I'll stand there. I'll look over the creek. I'll walk to the other side. I'll look at that side. And uh, might walk to the end of the stop sign. I'll come back to my house. That's, that'd be about 10 or 15 minutes. Hear from God. Whatever He says, make the commitment. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And do it. Do it immediately. Do it when he tells you to do it. Obedience is doing what you're told the first time, right? What do we tell our kids all the time? Obedience is doing what you're told the first time. Not thinking about it. Not going, ah, I'm going to talk to 100 people about this and see what they think. This, this week, you're probably going to have to just learn to trust God on this one. And then you can talk with some people about it later after you've tried it out. Okay? All right, cultivate space in your life. Learn to tune in to God. Tune in to God. It takes time. 
I can remember growing up, I had a radio in our basement. My dad had brought it back from Okinawa when he served in the Air Force. And um, electronics were cheap over there. And so in the um, early 70s, he, he brought this, this little uh, stereo back. And I, I've got it in, in my shed, in my backyard. Uh, I've got a little man cave. And it's funny, on it, you, you, it's got a big knob. And, and you, know, you don't hit the seat button and go to the next station. You kind of have to tune it in. And so you gotta you gotta listen, and you gotta turn it, and it'll get better, and then it'll get worse, and then, okay, I'm gonna go back. It gets better. Okay, it's just right, and then you kind of step away. And this week we're just practicing learning how to tune our hearts to the Spirit, learning how to hear from God, to get better as we go. Imagine what it would be like if we were part of a church that didn't just show up each week and because we've got great music or because we've got great teaching. Imagine what it would be like in your life if you were part of a church family and as you showed up each week, whether it's to the Sunday gathering or whether it's to a missional community, or maybe you're just meeting like one-on-one or just a few people in a coffee shop. We call those coffee groups or discipleship groups. We have some of those. What would it be like if the regular rhythm of your life was that as you meet up and you say, hey, what's, what's God been saying to you lately? That you actually had stories to tell of how God had spoken to you and how you had responded in obedience and how you have seen fruit that God shows evidence of throughout your life as a result of you listening to His voice and following Him. Do you think that's possible? I know it is. You wouldn't be here today if it weren't possible. This church was started. My best friend and I planted a church in Nashville in 2007. It didn't end well. Best friends and family members probably shouldn't go into business together. And the church didn't end well. And Mike and I were looking at each other. And we were trying to discern what we needed to do. And I said, I'm going to commit to pray about it. And I went down to a Starbucks down in Nolansville. And I said, man, my life's a mess. Poured my blood, sweat, and tears into this church. Seen God move in powerful ways. Had a bunch of college students who come to know Jesus. Life had kind of finally gotten comfortable. We just adopted Johannes from Ethiopia. We bought a house pretty recently. This church is going to fall apart and we're going to split it if we keep going in the, in the direction our leadership was going. And I just said, God, you've got to speak. What do you want to do? And I had a lot of internal turmoil that was boiling up within me of all my rights and everything that Mike had done wrong and a lot of blame and we were both at fault we were both pretty immature in our leadership and our friendship in a lot of ways and God just simply said I heard God say not in an audible voice I clearly heard God say it's okay I've got it leave Mike here I've got something else for you just like that And it scared me to death. And it was the last thing in the world I wanted to hear. And I spent the next three months fighting that. Surely I can just find a place where I can be a pastor. 
I've got a newly adopted son. He doesn't even, like, we're just getting him settled in. I don't know if I can plan another church. And God, over and over again, kept taking me back to, it's okay, leave Mike here. I've got something else for you. God let us here. And we started Mercy Hill Church. About 20% of this church has been baptized and come to know Jesus as a result of one person hearing God's voice and obeying. That's how it works. It's as simple as that. I'm not a super Christian. I'm not even that great of a pastor. I just heard God's voice one day and obeyed. And you can do the same. So I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you that you speak to us. God, would you forgive us for making church a business? God, for attracting people to it, making it about entertainment, when God, it's all about you and your story. God, we pray that our lives would be lived in such a way that we would bring you great glory. God, would you, would you help us to understand that as we respond in faith and obey, that obedience actually brings about joy? And that the happiness quest that so many of us are on is actually found in obedience to you. Just in living a simple life of faith. And so God, would you teach us what that looks like? Would you help us, just like you spoke to a boy named Samuel, God, would you speak to us this week as we listen and as we obey? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you as we uh, prepare to sing our, our last song. Uh, we're going to participate in these small communion cups. We've started practicing communion in this way since COVID and we can't come forward. So we use these. And as you think about um, communion today and as you just take a minute in your life to remember Jesus' sacrifice for you, um, we're going to sing this song again that we introduced earlier the song reckless love and michael and i we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and we decided that in this series we wanted to sing this particular song and that this song gets a really bad rap and there's a lot of people who won't sing it they'll say uh we think this song is ridiculous because god is not reckless okay i i I get that but if you come to really understand the grace of Jesus that has been extended to us. If you get just a little taste of His grace, you will come to understand that He was reckless in His love for us. It makes no sense. So let me invite you that as you take this wafer and you're reminded of Jesus' body broken for us, remember grace of Jesus. As we face trials and struggles and anxieties and oppression in our life, may we we be reminded of the blood of Jesus that has forgiven us, that's given us eternal life. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Stand together with us and we'll sing this last song. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning and being with us in this hour and 15 minutes here in these four walls. What a, what a joy it is to gather together. 
We close as I read, listen to the word of God being read, the words of Jesus from Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Merciel, you're dismissed.